When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking your calls at 0818103103. And actually sitting with John Paul today is young Sean Quish, who is a service user with St. Joseph's uh, Foundation. And he is based in the Kilmallock Hub. And he joins us today because today is National Job Shadow day uh, and there are people doing job shadowing all over the country and we're thrilled to be involved again this year so we welcome uh, Sean Quish who is from hospital in County Limerick as I say a service user at St Joseph's Foundation in Kilmallock and he is a mad radio head I'm told and that's uh, all he wants to do is a career in radio so we welcome him along today and we hope that Sean enjoys his job shadow day uh, sitting out with probably one of the most hard working people in the building and that is our own John Paul. So John Paul will continue to take your calls this morning along with job shadowing and helping out uh, Sean 0818103103 Texts and WhatsApps are also available at 0862103103 and is this turf war ever going to end I hear you uh, cry and there is talk today in a lot of the papers that the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan was warned yesterday by some of his coalition colleagues that his plan to ban the sale of turf could actually completely collapse this government if he doesn't row back on his plans. Now it seems there was an extraordinary series of private meetings yesterday with the Environment Minister coming under sustained attack from Fianna Fáil TDs as well as Fianna Gael TDs. Seemingly some of the Fianna Fáil TDs shouted at him and were actually heckling him. Then he went to a separate meeting with the Fianna Fáil uh, TDs and it was some of the Fianna Fáil TDs says this could actually bring down the coalition government if Eamon Ryan doesn't listen especially to the backbench TD. Senior Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan told Minister Ryan uh, that or he said afterwards that Minister Ryan was left in absolutely no doubt that the majority of the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party completely disagreed with his proposals on the banning of a turf. Now Barry Cowan also added that the provision where rural communities, this is that was announced earlier in the week, Eamon Ryan came out with this, that rural communities uh, with people under 500 living there, they would be exempt from the ban. According to Barry Cowan that wasn't 
uh, acceptable. I think when Eamon announced that, that small communities of 500 or less, they could continue to burn away their turf and sell their turf and pass it on to neighbours and family members. I think he thought that that was going to pacify the backbench TDs. But I straight away saw one rural TD saying, what about a village that has 501 souls living there? Are they going to ask one person to leave so that the rest could could burn uh, turf? So straight away, that wasn't acceptable certainly by the rural uh, TDs. Then over at the Fine Gael party meeting, Brendan Griffin, who's also the Fine Gael uh, government whip, he um, insisted, he told Mr. Minister Ryan that he his insistence on pushing ahead with the plans was threatening the stability of the government amid, amid indications that Fine Gael TDs and senators will simply not support the ban. And what has now been dubbed the turf wars. They spilled over into the cabinet yesterday. The education minister, Norma Foley, she got involved. She criticised the government communications on this issue. The social protection and rural affairs minister, obviously it must be very high on her agenda, Heather Humphreys. She insisted that if the small turf cutter is left alone then there won't be any issue at all for the government but how do you define what the small turf cutter is and therein I think lies the problem. Minister Ryan faced multiple accusations from former Fine Gael Minister Michael Ring he claimed the Greens chief was trying to put him off the road and as well as ceding votes from the coalition parties to Sinn Féin taking away people's livelihoods and allowing the public service to run the country into the ground. And then Clare TD, Joe Carey, he got in on it. He confronted Minister Ryan and asked whether he had ever saved turf. Now, it's only people in rural areas will know what it, to save the turf means. That's the practice of turning the turf and drying it out so that it can be actually used. So Joe Carey said to Minister Eamon Ryan, have you ever saved turf? To which Eamon Ryan replied, no, he had never saved a turf. Leash Offaly TD Charlie Flanagan, he said that ceiling of the 500 people in small rural communities, that they would be exempt from the ban. He felt that that would set small villages against each other and was a recipe for division and strife. And, and, I, and I take it what he's claiming is you could have two small villages close by where you had a 499 people living in one and you had a 501 living in the other. And of course, one would be able to to cut the turf and burn the turf and the other would not and he said it simply is unworkable and it is unforceable. Minister Eamon Ryan though insisting he had brought money and jobs to rural Ireland and he said the government plans to restrict turf sales and of course he goes back all the time saying look this is a matter of public health. He's constantly claiming this isn't a target on people living in rural areas but of course it is a rural issue because nobody in a city or a large town is saving turf so it is affecting people in very rural areas. After Minister Ryan met the Fianna Fáil TDs and Senators later in the day Barry Cowan said the Minister was told to go back to the drawing board and that the incentives would be needed to assist people, particularly those that would, if they were being forced to transition from turf to heat their homes. And then really this could not come at a worse time with, you know, energy costs rising all the time. At the meeting between Eamon Ryan and the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, the Longford TD, Joe Flaherty, he said the ban, which of course is due to come into force in September, was a premature move 
and that this was the last generation that would ever harvest turf. Now, Eamon Ryan, in a statement afterwards, one of his spokespeople acknowledged that there was a robust exchange of views. And I think that really is putting it politely. But the minister once again outlined the importance of the rules, why he wants to introduce this. And he once again mentioned that 1,300 lives are lost every year. And they, of course, are directly associated with illnesses due to air pollution. And of course, we know Eamon Ryan is the head of the Green Party. He's all about cleaner air for all. And by having cleaner air for all, for all, he believes we can see a reduction in those number of deaths due to people dying from air pollution every year. The Minister said the primary intention of this draft, it's the Solid Fuels Regulations Bill that will come in in September. It's to focus on the large scale and the commercial scale of smoky fuels. But of course, as we know, going by the constitution, going by our our rules and regulations, you can't just pick one fuel and that's why turf came into it and that's why we have these turf wars. I think initially, in fairness to Eamon Ryan, when he set out to ban the sale of smoky fuels, I don't think he realised that he was going to get caught up in this, that turf was also going to have to be included. And the draft regulations, uh, he says, will not impact on small rural communities that traditionally use turf. He's still sticking to that, that it isn't going to affect them. Now, he has also agreed after those quite fra- what sound like quite fractious meetings that he will meet again with the Fine Gael TDs because he certainly walked away from that particular meeting with the Fine Gael TDs telling him he needs to go back to the drawing board and look at this all over again and it is very much going to be on the order of business in the Dáil because later on tonight there is going to be a vote now this is on a Sinn Féin motion and the Sinn Féin motion is seeking to scrap the upcoming restrictions on the commercial sale of uh, turf so it's it's now the we're seeing that the issue is causing huge unease amongst TDs from the regional constituencies in both Fianna Fáil and uh, Fianna Gael but a lot of commentators today are saying it is, it is unlikely that they will vote against the government and will vote with uh, Sinn Féin but uh, you know, some are saying and some pointed out to Minister Eamon Ryan that if he doesn't back down on this one it could actually bring the government down. On the, the turf wars Dermot in Shigida says so we're not allowed to cut turf in this country and there's going to be a ban on the commercial sale of turf yet says Dermot I can purchase briquettes which come in from Poland because of course we're no longer making making briquettes in this country a- anymore. So how do we solve that problem? We import them instead from Poland. I can say I can never understand that when they when they stopped the making of briquettes in this country to stop people from burning them. I could never understand why then they were suddenly importing them in from Poland. It made from carbon footprint point of view, it never made any sense to me either, uh, Dermot. Dermot feels that the Green Party are too urban based and Eamon Ryan, he himself as leader of the Green Party is based in Dublin. So he is unsure of how rural Ireland works. Dermot feels Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, both those parties knew what they were getting involved with when they went into bed and into coalition with the Greens. Pat Infamoy says, at the end of the day, only 5% of the population rely on turf. The vast majority of people do not go out and cut cut their own turf. He feels this has been made into a huge political football. And then a number of people are saying, when I mentioned when Ryan was asked by the Clare TD 
Joe at Rhine. Had he ever gone out and saved turf? Had he ever spent a day in the bog saving turf? To which Eamon Ryan admitted he had not. John says Eamon Ryan wouldn't know what a hard day's work was. That anyone who's ever gone out and saved turf in a bog will know how what a hard day's work and a hard day's graft it is. And someone else is making the same point. If Eamon Ryan spent bog might make a man out of him, says somebody else. Okay, there's so many texts coming in and WhatsApps coming into 0862103103. And my apologies to Dee and to others. When I mentioned Job Shadow Day and young Sean Quish in with John Paul on Job Shadow Day, uh, Dee says, hi Patricia, excuse my ignorance, um, but I've never heard of Job Sh- Shadow Day. I'm not sure of what it is. I should have explained that uh, because we've got involved before. I thought that everybody knew what it was. It's it's a National Job Shadow Day, so it's going on all over the country. It's not just happening here at C103. It's an initiative that actually started 15 years ago. And I remember we were involved on in the first year. I can't believe it's going uh, 15 years. And Job Shadow Day is used to promote employment opportunities for people with disabilities in Ireland. And the idea is that it gives people with disabilities the opportunity to work in an area of their choice for a day and then that they job uh, shadow people. And I remember, I, I just, I think it was Enda Kenny. I'm sure it was Enda Kenny. Definitely uh, a participant did job shadowing with the Taoiseach on one day. I do remember that a number of years ago. But that's that's what it's all all about to promote uh, employment opportunities for people with disabilities. Uh, 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls this morning. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, members of the Rural Independent Group will today move a motion in the Dáil calling for the scrapping of the carbon tax. To find out more, West Cork Dáil Deputy Michael Collins, a member of the Rural Independent Group, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And now, I know they've moved the timing of this of them of of this motion and that you may have to leave us so let us know uh, if you get called away but now are you calling for a complete scrapping of the carbon tax or is it just a suspension of it for the moment well we're calling for the complete um, uh, scrapping of the carbon tax lock stock and barrel out the door as far as we're concerned because it turned out to be nothing short of a farce uh, Patricia we certainly have no alternatives here uh, put before the people since uh, the beginning of this carbon tax was, was hoisted onto the people. You know, that was that's the first thing. People are prepared to change in this country and are prepared to to, uh, to work on climate action if there's something there before us. So they're talking about wind energy. We find out now that the best case scenario wind energy solution is 2035. We're talking about retrofitting. That's if you're if you're if you've quite a lot of money and you're lucky enough to have that type of money uh, to retrofit your homes. So there's no solution as such. They're stopping us from using coal. Um, they're, they're pricing it out of out of the reach of people. They're pricing home heating uh, fuel out of the uh, price reach of people. They're uh, not allowing people now to buy a bag of turf. That's the new uh, thing that's come in the last few weeks. Where and 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 timbers next? Uh, where are they going to stop? What do they expect? You know, you know, it's 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 causing a lot of difficulties in urban Ireland, but it's certainly causing causing cruel difficulties in uh, to, for the people of, of of rural Ireland. Would you say uh, even more difficulties for people in rural Ireland than urban Ireland? It certainly is, uh, Patricia, because 
this this was only a form of tax so that the Greens would get money into their purse strings as such. Carbon tax brought in 652 million in 2021. 130 million uh, of this money is ring fenced in for climate action um, uh, projects, which is fair enough. That's what it's been. But I'd like to know where the rest of the money go to. And nobody seems to be able to answer where the rest has gone. It's gone into the big black hole of the government. Okay, and jo- just, 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 just to remind people about the carbon tax, it was introduced in 2010, so 12 years ago, and it was introduced to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. Has it supported a greener and cleaner environment, in your opinion? In my opinion, in rural Ireland, it hasn't. Um, you know, I suppose where you could see improvements is maybe in areas like public transport. That's where you should see an improvement. You should see an improvement. We haven't, if, you, if probably people are keeping up the speed on the forestry situation at the moment, we are absolutely dire, in dire states in relation to sowing forestry, which is a massive uh, opportunity for us to, to meet our, our carbon uh, emissions. Uh, targets and we're now nowhere near until the Green Minister is in there and I've told her recently to go cap in hand to Scotland to see how they can do it and how they can meet their targets and learn from them which they're refusing to do that but um, you, you look at public transport and I brought up an issue with the doll, in the doll yesterday with the, with the t-shirt that there's 20 and 50% decrease for the youth which is a great plan it's a great idea and it might encourage people to use public transport what they should be is not allowable to the to the private operators who, who are the only people that service rural Ireland. So this all our money, like the three uh, electric double-decker buses that uh, the, that Minister Ryan bought have gone to the capital, the 20% and now the 50% decrease for youth is going to be for those who are in the in the Lewis, in the train, in the Dart, in, the Dubl- in Dublin bus. But the ordinary people of rural Ireland are seeing nothing. So instead of we having Connecting Ireland, I have a lot of private operators telling me they're pulling the plug and we're going to end up having a disconnecting uh, public transport in, in rural which Ireland. Which will put more people back in cars and keep people in cars. Do you believe the carbon tax has in any way encouraged people to move away from carbon intensive fuels? All it has is it, 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 it made people suffer. And and if you rise the home heating, like, I mean, we had the T-shirt going out uh, to Europe there a few weeks ago, coming back saying he had got um, exemptions from from Europe that he could decrease to that on a few great, great. But how would I, if I was a leader across the world and I li- I'm listening to what's going on in this country and I hear the same T-shirt is going to put it back up in me the fuel that he he got the little bit of a, a, a deduction a couple of weeks ago. The next time he go there, they tell him go away. You you, you know it's the same. As, 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 as the fishing recently, somebody said to me that um, our minister is looking for extra quota, but at the same time, he's looking to decommission boats in Ireland. So what do you think Europe are going to tell him? You're not going to get extra quota because you're decommissioning your, your fleet out there. So we're the very same here. I want to, Europe to give us a, a permission to have a decrease in the VAT, but I turn around and I'll put it back up ourselves in our own tax so that we can have a tax day. It's, a, it's nothing short, and I'm calling that in five minutes' time or ten minutes' time in the doll, it's nothing short of a robbery of the people of rural Ireland in particular. And, and of course, the next the next increase for the carbon tax is the 1st of May, which is next Sunday. Sunday is, is, is the, the, the first. And with the current cost of living crisis, Michael, I mean, really, this couldn't come at a worse time, could it, for many families? It couldn't. We're pleading with them to suspend that. We're pleading with them, obviously, to scrap it. They're not interested in doing that. They're pleading to, pleading to suspend it. Imagine on Monday morning, people would be travelling to and from, I suppose, to the bank holiday, but the first week, to and from work or whatever, and they see the filling station fuel price has gone up. They're afraid to buy home heating. I'm hoping that the warm weather is coming and maybe they'll survive at this time, at this side of the year. As I, all the teachers kept saying yesterday, to assure anyone in relation to buying a bag of turfers, you won't be, you won't be fine this year, any. 
But he never said what's going to happen, kick the can down the road, is, uh, what's happening is a poor person that buys a few bags of turf to try and spread, you know, it's a, a cheaper uh, way of spreading uh, the, the, the fuel cost in their home. But the whole thing is is, is, is wrong. It's, it's coming at a shocking time. Our motion is an ideal time for other particles. Uh, Sinn Féin supported initially the carbon tax. They're kind of coming out against it now. Uh, so did the Labour and Sockdims. So, like, they need to come off the fence here now and say, OK, the people of Ireland didn't get what we were promising that was alternative. They're not anywhere near being brought here. And as soon as alternatives are in place, Patricia, I have no problem in sitting down with anyone and saying, OK, let's have a look at things now and see what's the way forward, but not this situation where they're, they're, they're looking to, to uh, tax people 652 million and give 130 million back to climate action. They're you actually doing more damage to the good people that want to protect our climate out there than, than, than protecting our climate because yeah. they're, they're angering people and they're annoying and frustrating people against uh, doing something in relation to climate action and they're forcing people into a corner and making it extremely difficult for, fam- for families, for all the people at this present time. And, and I saw you produce figures that, that I had to do a double take on and look at again. I mean, you gave the example of a family farm in rural Ireland. The financial cost of the carbon tax for this year alone, for 2022 uh, alone, is over a thousand euro, a thousand one hundred and twenty-one euro. So, I mean, if they, if you scrapped the carbon tax, if you, your motion went through today, that's the kind of savings that a family could make. And that's serious savings for a, a, a small farmer. Like, I, I mean, look, in a slightly bigger farm, farmer is far more than that because you know people have such massive fertilizer costs and so many costs at this present time. It's it's, it's quite frightening to be quite honest with you. But eleven hundred on a small family farm is is the same. A lot of money. Uh, that's a huge amount. It's of money. a lot like, of money. I'm, I'm so sorry to you and your listeners, but uh, I'm I'm up in about three minutes. In the okay, go, I will three minute run, and I go. thank you very very much. All right, listen, we'll talk again. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That is uh, Deputy Michael Connors. Actually, I was also hope to speak with Michael uh, because it's really disappointing to hear that there is a shortfall in funding for the ferry service for Jersey Island. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the about Jersey Island and that the cable car has to be repaired and it's going to be out of action and it's going to be out of action for the for the entire entire summer it's into certainly it's well into the autumn maybe into early winter uh, before the cable car is repaired and I accept the cable car needs to be repaired and all, and all of that and we spoke with a, a man who farms out on Jersey and uses the ferry every day or uses the cable day and there was a big campaign at the time to try to get a ferry because they were taking the cable car away and there wasn't a ferry service being put in and then anyway it was decided by the Department of Rural Affairs that a ferry service would, would be put in place but now we're hearing that the funding that has been made available means that the fer- the ferry to get people on and off Jersey Island is only going to be able to run for three days. I mean, we were led to believe, because remember we were celebrating the fact that they were going to get a ferry, that the ferry would be in operation while the cable car was being repaired. And everyone was of the belief that it would be a full seven-day fer- ferry service. And like that really is the least that the people of Jersey Island and the Beira Peninsula, because this is a tourist season, it'll bring tourists to the area as well. And it seems that the funding that has been made available will only allow the ferry to run for three days. And hopefully that will get looked at again and more funding will be made available from the Department of Rural Affairs and that that ferry will go seven days. We'll keep an eye on it. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or watch. WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Once again, there were huge delays for people trying to enter the Jack Lynch Tunnel, which long delays uh, reported at 8am yesterday morning at the peak time for commuters. And sadly, it's not the first time the traffic delays have been experienced by motorists using the tunnel. Local area representative for the Labour Party Peter Horgan joins me to discuss what needs to be done. Good morning to you Peter. Good morning Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome to the programme. Now yesterday's incident was to do with an overheight vehicle. Yes. Now, so there appears to have been some movement on this story since yesterday in that TII have actually come out and explained that they've changed the sensitivity of the sensors and, and lowered them uh, at some points. Uh, which appears to be impacting on uh, lorry drivers and and HGVs using the tunnel and causing a number of valid height incidents and some invalid height incidents. So this isn't a case of truck drivers ignoring the signs and then getting stuck? No, I I don't believe so, because number one, there's not very many signs. I actually just went through the tunnel again this morning. And uh, as you approach... The tunnel itself from, shall we say, the South Link side, from the, from the Black Rock Mahan side, there's only two small uh, signs coming in as you approach. So if the TII and Jack Lynch tunnel operators have reduced the height of sensors or increased the sensitivity, I would have thought that there would be a lot of flashing uh, signs in advance of entering the tunnel, you know, before you hit that uh, that emergency slip road before you, uh, the tunnel in case someone doesn't happen. Truck drivers know the height of their vehicle. They know intimately their, their vehicles and what their vehicles can do and can't do. But I, I, there seems to have been a breakdown in communication from TII, uh, the operators of the Jack Lynch Tunnel, and, and the industry of, of truck drivers and HGV drivers uh, and their companies that employ them. And the, the collateral damage has essentially been the regular commuter in the morning and the evening. And as a result, residents in Black Rock, Mahan and Douglas and the city centre, which gets, you know, one one incident in, in the tunnel and the whole area on the south side, especially gets completely snarled up uh, and people begin rat racing through estates. Uh, and it, it just, it's just a, a bad recipe, uh, essentially. Yeah, and you're right, TII have, um, and they are the ones who are responsible, obviously, for the management of the tunnel. They've confirmed yesterday that the new sensor system has has triggered several uh, false uh, detections that was installed last month. And actually, when we were in their office this morning, it was John Paul that reminded me that we had a series of calls in uh, back in early March and we contacted TII on the, and I have the, e- the series of emails in front of me, we contacted them on the 10th of March. So where are we now? The 27th of April. So well over a month ago, alerting the fact that the lights were going red when there wasn't an issue. There wasn't any struck, trucks getting stuck. It was the sensors were triggering it. And the TII came back to us and said, they accepted the, that we were correct and they were looking at it and it was going to get sorted out. But that was on the 10th of March. And I guess the problem is is that it took a series of, of incidences. It took your good show to contact them. It took myself getting frustrated and because there was no clarity coming from the TII, only that there's been an incident, the tunnel is closed, southbound, the tunnel is closed, northbound, and everyone gets up in arms. Because I can see it where I live. I walk over Carl's Hill. I can, I can see the traffic 
build up in the evening if I'm not on the road. Um, and you can see it in the morning as well. And as you come down off different slip roads and you enter it, you know, you can see people's hearts sinking in their cars, uh, you know, if they're if they're traveling. And these are people come from areas which don't have, you know, a public transport capability or a reliable public transport capability to get them to work or to where they're going. So people use the tunnel. People need to use the tunnel. The tunnel at half nine today when I was going through it worked like a worked like a dream. It was great. But I can guarantee you if I was using the tunnel at 10 past eight, it would have been gridlock. And if there's one small incident on that, if even if it's a valid or non-valid height, issue the whole thing shuts down and the backup goes right back to Kinsale Road roundabout at peak hours uh, and you know we d- we just need more communication from TII we need to understand like if, if they are increasing the sensitivity of the sensors that obviously is, obviously is being done for a reason as I understand it it's to it's to remove the impact of wiggle room for for lorry drivers that they may have previously got I mean we certainly don't want something where an overheight lorry might hit the tunnel and shut it down for hours on end uh, and then we'll really be in a situation where, you know, the city is completely gridlocked. But I think a bit more communication to motorists, um, a, a bit more, uh, a bit more ingenuity from from the Minister for Transport would be would be welcome. I've been calling for many years now with Councillor John Maher in the city for um, Operation Free Flow to be reinstated at peak times where you would have uh, traffic guardy uh, at pinch points when incidences occur. Uh, not just where there might be an accident or a breakdown, but at the at the knock-on impact effect. So if you have an, uh, an incident tunnel, I can guarantee you there will be massive delays in Douglas. There will be massive uh, cars on the Skihard Road going into the city centre. We need to be able to deploy Gardaí uh, uh, to those points to ensure that they move quickly and people aren't getting caught up any longer than they need to be. Well, yeah, and particularly when the lights go red, which stop people entering uh, the tunnel, and it's very clear that there's nothing stuck in the, in the tunnel and that it is some kind of a systems failure. You know, a guard that's standing there waving people on, saying, it's okay, it's okay, you know, keep, keep going. Because I've, I've seen that red, te- I've seen yeah. that red light. It's, yeah. it's quite, you, you're driving and you say, you say, whoa, should I be going in? I Nobody know. wants to get stuck in the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then also, the emotional centre are expected to stop until the system is is re reset uh, is there an issue trying to reset it and get it back to green to allow people in that i'm not sure but it would be very good to see more communication through radio stations like c103 uh, if you're stuck in your car you're going to be listening to the radio station and if you see an incident up ahead you should instinctively know well the information is going to go to the local radio station where i'm going to find out what's happening uh, and and like up to date travel issue we don't appear to have um, as they have in Dublin, like a kind of a dedicated traffic radio station. I could be wrong on that, but I, I've never. I, do, come I don't think they do. Well, well, I, well, I know in fairness because it was only yesterday morning when I, I came into work just before eight, and Ken. Tobin who presents our breakfast show he's got all the traffic cameras on and he's obviously doing his best based on the traffic cam- cameras to keep people updated and he said oh there must be something that's after happening in the Jack Lynch tunnel and I said why? He said look at the backup of traffic and it was inc- I said that's a car park that's it's not even a traffic jam and I just sensed you could just you could just feel the frustration of people in their cars trying to get to work maybe trying to get children to school you know, people attending hospital appointments, doctor's appointments, and they're literally just stuck. They've nowhere to go. Quite. And and there's so much money being spent on Dunkettle that, and, and the web cameras are good, and I've used them myself at times, you know, when it's a certain time of the day, you might say, well, right, well, which direction am I going to go 
to North Cork or East Cork or, or, or even West Cork. And the, the traffic cameras are very helpful. And they were very helpful around the time when Prince Charles and Camilla came because my brother-in-law, who's from New Zealand, was actually stuck at Kinsale Road Roundabout, didn't know what was happening. And I was able to look at the traffic camera and see the motorcade and say, oh, you're stuck in the motorcade. <laughs> but, you know, it took him to ring I've, me I've to no, look at yeah, a webcam I've, rather I've, than yeah. the information coming out. Yeah, but I've, I've no use, only that he was, you know, he, he was able to ring you. But for people stuck in traffic, you can't, exactly. you, you don't have access to those cameras. There needs to be more communication to motorists. There needs to be more communication through the likes of C103, through local radio stations, through local media. I mean, everyone is on social media, all the media organisations in Cork on social media, pushing that information out to people uh, in a way that motors will understand that why there is a delay at the very least and, and what's happening, because otherwise they're sitting in a vacuum and that just breeds more panic, more uh, frustration with, with sitting in traffic. And we've come through two and a half years of a pandemic when traffic volumes are quite, quite low and I fear that we're falling back into the old habits of the gridlock at 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 rush hour, and people people don't want to be in it. So people want to see the traffic moving as smoothly as possible. the 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 obvious way to do that to to mitigate those traffic problems is more investment in public transport mm. and in, encouraging people to use public transport. And we're seeing this with bus connects and with the bus corridors plan for the city. But that, in terms of the Jack Lynch Tunnel, we still don't like if you're coming from East Cork area and you're coming either into the city or into towards Ballancolleg or Ring of Skiddy for work or something like that you don't have a park and ride facility there's nothing for you to get into the city centre quickly apart from using the Jacqueline Shunnel or going to Lower Glenmire Road and parking for the day you know you might have the train yes sorry you might have the train of course but in terms of a park and ride capability for people coming from North Cork to the city West Cork you might you might get to the park and ride um where it is by Tremor Valley Park. But if you're coming from West Cork and you've got to park and ride in Tremor Valley Park, you might as well continue the other 500 metres into the city centre and park up your car and not have to worry about it. So we want to see, in, in the Labour Party, we want to see more public transport. We need to see more public transport. And, and, and we're, constantly, but we're, not talk, we're, we're constantly talking about reduction in carbon emissions. And one way of doing that is to get people out of cars and onto public transport. But the public transport has to be there and available for people. It does. And... I'll give an example. I mean, I gave my brother-in-law who's stuck in traffic, his wife, my sister-in-law, who was a doctor who's come home from Australia, decided one day she's after buying a house and she said, right, I'm going to get the, the bus into CUH, starting in CUH. And the bus never came. So she has to go back from the bus. And that's this is in the Grange area, highly dense situation where, you know, we should be encouraging people in Grange, Franklin Douglas to get on the bus. Uh, and, and when the first incident, it's only one incident, the bus never came. And there's no bus up update uh, systems up around there. You can't track where it's gone. It just went, it turned into a phantom bus like there was in the past when you used to send. I remember in Blackrock going to town and there'd be phantom buses going down towards Mahan and all of a sudden four would come Altogether. all at once. I know, I know. <laughs> We're it's, still at that point to a degree. Very and, frustrating. And people have that kind of fear. They're like, well, if I take the bus, I'm not going to get to my appointment on time. I'm not going to get to my, I'm either not going to get to my appointment on time or I'm going to get there an hour late or two hours early. Yeah, and, so, and if you've got to get to work and be on time for work. Exactly. And and that's my fear with Bus Connects. The Bus Connects route public consultation was done uh, a number of months ago online. It didn't take into account, it didn't contact, for example, schools. I asked the NTA, I said, are you contacting schools to find out their uh, modus operandi? And I was told that the public consultation currently underway was allowed for them at the time. At the time, schools were in the middle of 
chaos with the leaving cert again uh, under the pandemic and all that. They're saying the NTA that the new bus the bus routes, bus connect routes will be the final iteration of them. I don't believe that's right. I think we need to have another look at the routes that come back and interrogate them. I can only speak for the south side where, where I live, um, where I kind of, you know, would use the bus. We have the 220 that go past my door, which is a fantastic bus service, which is the most popular bus service in the country. And yet the bus connect plan would actually remove the 220. It would actually take that 220 route away and while there would be a 24-hour capability, it would be spread across two routes. So rather than building on the success of the first ever 24-hour route in the country, which is the most successful route in the country, and perhaps having a second 24-hour route on the north side, which desperately needs investment in public transport, uh, the NTA have decided to take away that route and split it in two. So now in your mind, you're like, well, what, what route can I get at any time of the day? You have to go looking at new numbers. There'll be new numbers, and that, that there's teething problems with that. But the ambition of of creating 24-hour bus services across Cork City, you know, linking into areas like CUH. There's potentially a new hospital going to Glanmire. I don't believe Glanmire actually has any uh, new bus routes under Bus Connects. And yet we're going building a new uh, elective hospital there. So, so like, and people have said to me, well, it's just off the motorway. I say, but it's the exact same mistakes that we've made before. You know, car is king. You know, you want to ensure that there's proper public transport Available um, to all Available capability for places, and you would yeah. have remembered, Patricia. I'm sure I, I remember you discussing it a few years ago. The bus services, even from Passage to um, to Carrigaline to the to primary care centre, there. You know, a really long, hard fought campaign by Councillor Marcia Dalton and other councillors like Seamus McGrath. Do you know, and that's not part, this isn't party political, like they, they're good local councils on the ground looking for services. And the problem, the core of the problem, really, is the NTA do not have an underground presence in Cork still. Despite yeah. the promises of an yeah, office, and, and you know, it's we've, still we've, a desktop exercise. We've just done a very comprehensive census. So the information will be there as to exactly how many people are living in, in various areas and the information of the way they travel to work. So, you know, to, to, so even if you're sitting in Dublin, they can see the information. It is there. But you're right. I think we, they, they do need to have somebody on the ground. OK, listen, Peter, I've got to leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank and you, uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Peter Horgan, who is the local area rep for the Labour Party. Eddie and Bandon was on to say, would you give a shout out and say well done to a number of students that are out in Bandon this morning picking up litter. Eddie's unsure what school they're from as he was attentively watching the traffic, which he needed to do while he was driving, but he did spot them out picking up litter this morning. So well done to those young students in Bandon. 0818-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A caller has been on to say when we've been talking about Minister Eamon Ryan and a lot of people very critical of Eamon Ryan both his role in the coalition party but also his green agenda. Now there's other people are saying it's the right way to go. You know we need to do something about climate change. We need to do something about carbon emissions but you know very much the thrust of the cause coming in it's rural Ireland always seems to take the hammering when anything is done particularly around carbon uh, carbon tax when there's increase in carbon tax but somebody was on to say could you ask listeners is it correct that Eamon Ryan's mother came from Bantry now I was unaware of this because I, I've, all I know about Eamon Ryan is that he was born and has grown up and spent all of his life in Dublin so I was unaware that he had any West Cork connections but it seems that his mother did grow up in Bantry and it came up I think it was yesterday 
there was a, a debate in the Dáil about the old West Cork railway line and you know there's always been a call for wouldn't it be great to have the railway line back in to uh, West Cork and, and particularly you know things that we've touched on today we, we, everyone has been encouraged to use public transport and public transport is great if you have the Lewis and the Dart and bus service and a train service, service you know on your doorstep you then can use public transport but if you're living in very rural areas and you don't have access to public buses that you don't have access to trains and of course we don't have a train service in West Cork and a lot of people bemoan the fact that that was a wrong decision taking the trains out of West Cork and there's been a push I think of late certainly with this whole thing about trying to get people to use more public transport people are saying wouldn't it be great to see the railway line back in West Cork and it came up in a discussion yesterday now we're trying to do we're not going to get to it today we're hoping to try to do something on this tomorrow because it was the West Cork Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan who brought it up and he was in discussion with Eamon Ryan about it and Seemingly during that discussion, Eamon Ryan said that his mother grew up in Bantry and her father grew up in a farm in Glanthorn, which is showing that he has, he does have rural ancestry that I think I certainly was unaware of. So yes, it seems his mother did grow up in Bantry, but I didn't know about that until, as I say, that debate happened yesterday. And as I say, we will try and talk about more about that on the programme tomorrow. Now, a lot of cause and comments coming in, a mix between the turf wars that are going on and also the carbon tax that as we speak now I would imagine has been debated in the Dáil because of that in motion by the Rural Independent TDs they want a complete ban on uh, carbon tax that's set Dermot to say what about the aviation industry and why are they not paying anything in carbon tax why is it always the drivers going from Bandon to Cork or Kinsale to Cork or Mallow to Cork why are they always the ones that have to pay for it while a plane will fly overhead or can fly from Dublin to Washington and not pay carbon tax. Surely something needs to be done on that. Well, actually, the EU are talking, uh, Dermot, about doing something about that because December of last year, it was announced that the EU are planning to tax aviation fuel and to change carbon prices in a bid to cut greenhouse gas emissions from air travel. And I know here in Ireland, the Economic and Social Research Institute, the RSI, they brought out a paper on carbon taxes on aviation fuel and they say that taxing carbon would be the most effective way to cut emissions from aviation fuel. In the report, they explained that taxing carbon would obviously increase airfares because the airlines are not going to suck up the extra cost that they'll pass it on. So if you're going to book a flight anywhere, it's going to be more expensive. And that alone would prompt people to take fewer flights. So obviously if there's less flights, there'll be lower emissions. Now seemingly the EU, and I say this came last December and I haven't seen or heard anything since, but the EU, they want to phase out this, what's called the free emissions trading allowances, which are given to airlines they have an exemption on for kerosene, which is aviation uh, fuel, and it's part of the overall EU efforts to cut carbon. The ESRI calculate that charging airlines €100 a tonne for carbon by 2030, they reckon it would cut the industry's emissions by 14.8%. So there is talk about the airline industry being forced to pay carbon tax. At the moment, they don't. And I think that might come as a surprise to some people. Uh, But seemingly that exemption has been there. And obviously, I'm assuming it was in place to keep airfares reasonable for consumers. 
I imagine that's the reason for it. But certainly, Dermot, you'll be glad to hear that it is being looked at by the EU when it comes in. I don't know. Liam Imbroff wants to say well done to Deputy Michael Collins and the rest of the rural independent TDs for raising this issue of carbon tax. He feels that the Green Party are the most dangerous party in uh, government. He also is pondering why scientists can't invest some device that would take the carbon out of all of our fuels. We hear about so many inventions. Could that not be done? Oh, well, I'm assuming there's been so much about carbon tax at Leem over so many years, particularly when it comes to climate change. I'm assuming that that has been looked at, that there must be no no way around it. I mean, that's why we're told to go with electric cars, because obviously they don't have uh, emissions, but it would be fantastic if they came up with some kind of a device or some kind of a, a system was put in place and they would just completely take the carbon out of when we're driving around in diesel or in petrol cars. Thank you for your call, Liam. Looking at some of your texts, in somebody says, what about biofuels? Nobody seems to be talking about that. And biofuels, yeah, absolutely is the way to go. And to me, one way that biofuels could be, look, could be looked at, uh, the money that would need to be invested in, in order for people to move to biofuels, surely that would be part of the money that we're always told when we pay our carbon tax that it's ring-fenced for climate action policies. So if but could bio, biofuels would be carbon action uh, policy. But then to hear the figures that Michael Collins gave, just looking at last year, 2021, the amount of money we as consumers paid in carbon tax in this, this country, and that's just here in Ireland, 652 million euro was paid during 2021 in carbon tax. The government will constantly tell you that that money is ring-fenced for climate action policies, that it isn't just another tax-generating modus operandi, that it's actually used for climate action policies. But out of the 652 million that we all paid in carbon tax last year, only 130 million of it was ring-fenced. Where did the rest of it go? As Michael Collins says, into the big black hole that is that gets paid into tax. It does seem crazy that there's so much money comes in on carbon tax. Why not ring-fence it all? As we were told that would happen when the carbon tax was first introduced. It's 12 years now. I don't know what the overall total of how much has been raised in that 12 years, but it's a lot of money. And if every single cent of the carbon tax was used was ring-fenced for climate action, I think we'd be in a very different position today. But you're right, biofuel is something that certainly needs to be looked at. Ross wants to know, when Minister Eamon Ryan flew to America for St. Patrick's Day, was he not worried about the pollution? I'm sure it did go through his mind, but he had no other way of getting to to the uh, States. But yes, he would have been in an aeroplane that wasn't even paying carbon tax on the amount of carbon that that plane would have been would have been emitting at the time. And then on the turf, listener says, Patricia, the turf is typical of this government's discrimination, this listener feels, and divisive policies that they've done in agriculture in recent years. They seem to always favour the big partnership farmers over the standalone younger farmer who have a young family. This listener feels that that is utter discrimination against the family-run farm. 0818 103 103.
agree. Joe Imbandin feels the current government doesn't have a clue. What is he talking about? He's talking about the help and support for the Ukrainian refugees. Uh, he says, I've no problem with the government helping out and giving aid to the Ukrainians, but do they not need to sort out our own mess first? Look what's going on within our own Irish hospitals. We have our own Irish sleeping on the streets and we've others in trouble that are in need of help. I have nothing, says Joe Bandon, against helping those fleeing war, but there has to be a balance. And just on the hospitals, I was reading on the paper today, there's a report that I think it's 200,000 people had procedures and appointments and operations cancelled because of COVID. So, I mean, the catch up that's going to have to be done post-COVID is going to be incredible on our hospitals. And remember yesterday, I only spoke about, uh, it was a story out of Waterford of a young woman who ended up in 14 hours in the accident and emergency department. She didn't need to be in the local accident emergency department, but she needed to be seen by a GP. And she is back living in, in her family home so she doesn't have a family GP and she was, she's was she been trying to register with a GP in the area and every single GP she's gone to they're very polite and nice to her and they've all said sorry we can't you know we're not taking in any more new patients our patient numbers are full we're already stretched to capacity which is an ongoing issue with GPs all over the country and this young woman got sick felt unwell and ended up at the A&E and when she got to the A&E department when she finally got seen after 14 hours they said nothing we can do for you you need to go to your GP now eventually her mother managed to get her in with a doctor but she's not going to be seen until next week but it just showed it was a small you know an isolated story but it just shows what's wrong within our health system going right out into primary care if we don't have enough GPs available to look after patients that's what happens more people then end up in the A&E department because if they're unwell and they need to get seen or they ignore something that could have been dealt with by a GP and then end up having to go to the A&E department and we all know how stretched our A&E departments are so you are right we certainly do have a problem with our health service and it goes right from the hospitals it goes right the way back uh, for sure you're right on, on that uh, thank you for your call to 0818 103103 and then someone else was on when I was mentioning the rubbish and we were saying well done to the students abandoning or pick, litter picking uh, today somebody had been on to us from the corkscrew road in Bandon this was last week somebody contacted us and they took photographs and sent us on the photographs of rubbish that had been dumped on the Corkscrew Road in Bandon and were asking us to put a shout out to see if it could be could be uh, removed. There was even a dead animal but there was lots of rubbish. Somebody had made an attempt to burn the rubbish. None of it, they hadn't burned at all. There was glass jars and bottles which was very frustrating because all of those could be recycled. So we did a shout out on the programme last week. Well that listener is back to say thank you for airing my text about the rubbish dumped in Corkscrew in Bandon. Whoever took it away forgot to come up the rest of the road because there's still a heap of rubbish there. The animal that I sent you in the photograph of in the bag on the ditch is also still there and there's a heap of more rubbish now on the ditch. Thank you for airing it. And I don't know who went out. Was it the council that went out and, t- and took it away? I don't know who actually took it away but whoever dealt with that rubbish dumped on Corkscrew Road in Bandon. You need to go back unfortunately. It hasn't all been cleared away. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls. Text and WhatsApps to 0862 
103 103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie. A box office admin assistant is wanted to work for West Cork Music in Bantry. Email CVs and a cover letter, please. You need to have two references to grace at westcorkmusic.ie forward slash vacancy. And please have your application in by Friday, the 13th of May. Drum Transport Limited. They're looking for Arctic drivers for immediate start in North Cork. You must have a full clean driver's licence and up-to-date CPC. John is your contact at 86 1409334. And EPS, they've got a vacancy for a waste water treatment plant operator. It's to work in the West Cork area. Email CVs, please, to jobs at epswater.com. And a digger driver and a 360 excavator driver wanted for immediate start in Carrick Tool. Ticket and safe pass required. Quarry experience would be an advantage, although not essential. 087. 1867306. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now, we've already spoken with some women on the programme who have been affected by shortages of hormone replacement therapy products. And these shortages have now prompted independent TD Verona Murphy to call on the government to appoint a junior minister who would be responsible solely for women's health. To explain more, Deputy Verona Murphy uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Verona. Good morning, and, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, just the background here. How long have women in Ireland been facing shortages with HRT products? Uh, well, it came to my attention only about two, two and a half, three months ago, in which case I was contacted by one lady and uh, on Facebook through social media. And I told her I hadn't been informed about it at all. It was the first I'd heard. And then there was... a. Uh, Subsequent to that, there were a number, a large number of females whom I think started the campaign uh, through the Irish Women's Councillor that to alert TDs to this. And I received subsequently hundreds of emails. And I think it is very worrying. I've spoke to a lot of females who were on treatment since. Uh, they've had to change in the absence of being able to get what they usually use. And, you know, it causes great disruption and discomfort, uh, both physically and mentally for women. So it's going on. I'm not sure exactly how long it's going on, but certainly in the last three months I've been made aware of it. Yeah, and we've certainly heard from some women here on this programme the lengths they have had to go to to get their products. We'd one, she's a very young uh, woman. She, um, she, because of ill health, she had to. Uh, she was in early menopause when she was in her, in her twenties. But uh, and she's been on HRT and has to remain on HRT for life. And it's mm-hmm. so important uh, to her. And I think the figure was something like twenty three chemists she ended up contacting until eventually she found a chemist that was able to keep her going for another couple of months. But it just yeah. seemed bizarre. Yeah, and, and you know, there's... 
It is, yeah, and I mean it's very difficult for women because not when they change product, it causes all sorts of changes in mood, in everything, but also it can be quite expensive. I spoke to a lady last night who's having, because she can't get her usual HRT product, she's actually using a different product but must use two patches and that's costing her twice as much. Ah. So, I mean, there's all of that. And, you know, it's not always an affordable measure as we well know and it is almost now a lifetime issue. But I, I feel very strongly that what we need to do here is not just in relation to HRT and because it's a woman's health issue, it tends not to get the same attention. You know, the comment was made to me yesterday, and I, I don't mean to be facetious, but if there was a shortage of Viagra, we'd have it sorted. Mm. Now, I don't want, I don't find it funny because I really do believe there's a lot of women suffering. But I do think we need to, we need to do more uh, and to look into what exactly the problems are and what can uh, be done at government level to remedy it. But I do believe one measure, certainly, that we need to be looking at is that we have a minister for women's health in the future and in the very near future. Okay, have you looked into and have you any understanding of why there is a shortage of some HRT products? Yes, I have. And there's a combination of factors. Um, A lot of it has to do with uh, Brexit as a measure, but also shortages of product that make up you know, the the chemicals that are required to make up certain products and as well as that generic uh, products that were being made and licenses have run out. There is a combination of factors, but certainly it's something that has gone under the radar and not something that government has, to my knowledge at this point, tried to remedy. And, you know, we brought it up on International Women's Day and one thing or another, but we need to get back to the table. And uh, I've written to the health committee to ask them if there is something that can do and organise a forum. You know, people can write in and appear in front of the committee to give their experience and I hope that's the next step. Yeah, because again, it's almost like, uh, Verona, one of these issues that women have a tendency to suffer in silence. Yeah. You're absolutely, and I mean, look at you'll have noticed in the in certainly in the radio media, as we call it, that has come to the fore this year on different national mediums. But I think we're we're now at a stage where I don't think that's going to continue. We've seen Scotland appoint a minister for women's health. I very much want to see the template for that. And I think if you look at it, Patricia, every health scandal that we've had in recent years has been to do with women's health. You know, the hepatitis blood scandal, we've recent, uh, the cervical scandal, all of the things, uh, Selena Halepinava, all of those things involved women. And there's no doubt women's health is more complex. We are, you know, we reproduce children, all of that. We give childbirth. There are complications and there are specific needs for women that should be identified and dealt with with a specific ministry in mind. And, you know, everything from endometriosis, which is very, very debilitating. And like you say, it's not so much under the radar, but it's almost a taboo in relation to having a conversation. And I've seen friends of mine who've suffered and it's crippling. But yes, it's like if you rang work and said, look, I can't come in today, I'm having a bad bout of endometriosis. You know, it would be just almost a scandal. Mm. So I think, you know, they're the things we need to address and we need to identify. These are serious illnesses. 
Well, that, they need well, to that be young woman, that young woman that I spoke about, who was one of the first to raise the HRT shortage uh, with us on on the program, it was undiagnosed endometriosis with her, and it there led to go. her having yeah. having to have a radical hysterectomy. At, at 27 years of age. I mean, it was just shocking. Yeah, that's Shock, horrendous. Her, her story yeah. in itself. And now, as she's trying to get on with her life, she's now faced with the one drug that can keep her normal and keep her living a normal life suddenly not available uh, to her. And of course, it's not just in this country. There, there's a there's a shortage in 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 the UK. Yeah, and I mean that's the other side. Like, like that's life changing for that young woman, and and to be faced with this, then like the mental health aspect of it, all of these things add up to a huge mental strain as well. And I mean, there has to be an answer to it. And to my mind, because it's a taboo subject, there's a stigma almost attached to it. It you know it's not been investigated in the same way that it it should be if it was a general health issue or I suppose there's no harm in saying it a male populated issue and I think that's what we have to bring to the fore you know we have to point out uh, just how much people are suffering how much women are suffering mm. and and certainly get an answer to it but in the overall scheme in the overall scheme you know we need to discuss women's health on a much more open basis and and to uh, like to stop um delayed diagnosis you know symptoms have to be discussed openly so as that women themselves are empowered with the knowledge and understanding of what they may be suffering from and insist that 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 diagnosis is determined as early as possible Okay, and uh, Mary says, well done to Verona for raising this uh, issue. She said one of her friends is having her patches every day just to keep going. You can clearly see how much she's missing her HRT. And Mary said she heard of another woman. They're sharing a prescription, even though the prescription wasn't for her. And that's the danger. I know I saw saw a piece out of England. It was the founder of of a menopause uh, expert group and she was, you know, talking about the devastating impact it's having on on people's women's health in England and that for some women, they were going online to try and they didn't quite know what they were sourcing and it's just long term. But but because women are getting so desperate, you know, they've cases in England, people buying it on, on the black market and obviously they're putting their own health at risk. Absolutely. And you see, there's an article today in one of our national newspapers, it's the Irish Examiner, which also says that women are waiting twice as long for heart failure diagnosis. So, I mean, and I'm not trying to avoid the HRT issue, but you can see where it's just literally gone unnoticed at government level and what like there hasn't been a mention of it the committee will I do hope take in people such as you've mentioned that will explain how it's affecting their lives like as I said one woman can afford uh, the increase in HRT but that doesn't mean they all can yeah, yeah. you know That's and when point. you say having patches the fear of running out yeah. and having to entertain another one it's not simple and every like as a woman we understand chemical imbalance and how it can affect your whole physical well-being as well as your mental health and that is we need to get to a stage where this is taken very very seriously And we've never Verona had a junior minister for women's health have we? 
No, we haven't. And I mean, it's, to be honest, it's something that's now coming to the fore. I mean, neither has Scotland, but they've only recently appointed one. And I'm saying the template is there now. We have a junior, we have three ministers in the Department of Health, the senior minister being Minister Donnelly and then Minister Rabbit and Minister Mary Butler. So I think it's time that we set up a junior ministry at the very least for women's health. And and it is a significant, we are the larger uh, cohort of the population here in Ireland. We do have a very, very with the very important job I wouldn't say it's our function but certainly we are the people who reproduce and therefore we have to take this very very seriously and all of the things you know endometriosis starts at a, can start at a very young age and I remember as I say my friends who suffered badly and they have all you could say been at a level of where they've had a problem reproducing and that's where you know we need to take it in hand and to ensure that we're not actually creating other problems. Okay, and Dennis said, would we only be in favour of a referendum to increase the overall number of ministers? Dennis feels we need a full minister for women rather than just a junior minister. Yeah, and that's something I would have to look into. I'll be quite honest, I'm not. I, I think we need to start somewhere. I'm certainly prepared to get into the debate. You know, I think that debate would then turn into, well, why don't we just have one for men? We have an overall Ministry for Health. I just believe, and I think the information I'm receiving from both constituents and countrywide is that we have a significant issue here and it needs to be dealt with on a department basis with a separate ministry. And I do believe that a junior ministry, you know, dealing with women's health would probably be sufficient. But I am certainly open to the suggestion and the debate. Okay, and certainly when you list the various uh, scandals that we've had and health issues that we've had for women, whoever that minister would be and would have been in the past would certainly have been very busy for sure. And Verona, what is your advice to women who are struggling to get their HRT? Is it go back to your GP and see if there's an alternative available? And you see, absolutely, I think that's where you have to start. Uh, I mean, there's many clinics uh, that deal with menopause alone, uh, probably more accessible, more accessible in city-based atmospheres as opposed to rural Ireland. But yes, certainly you have to go to your GP. But even I'm hearing from the GPs, they're struggling with finding something, you know, that is just easily transferable from what HRT treatment you've been on. And that can be the difficulty because if you have something that has suited you and women now live through you know menopause without even noticing because of HRT many and this is a disruption and this causes the discomfort so the GPs I'm doing they're doing their best I am engaging with some of them as to what we might do and again in relation to appearing in front of the health committee but I think the reality is that that's the only basis they have at the moment as well as probably women's forums where they can discuss with one another and you know for their mental mental health that they are not going through this alone there are thousands of women going through this currently in this country. Yeah, yeah, they certainly are not alone. Listen, uh, Verona, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Independent uh, Dole Deputy Verona Murphy on that shortage of some. It's not all, but it's on some HRT products that has been ongoing uh, for many months now at this stage. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. A team of cyclists from Clonakilty Cycling Club will embark on a mammoth 616 kilometre challenge to raise funds for the Irish Community Air Ambulance by cycling from Malinhead to Missinhead and they're going to do it over this coming bank holiday weekend. Anthony O'Donovan from the Clonakilty Cycling Club joins me. Good morning, Anthony. Morning to you, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, how how many cyclists will take on this challenge? We have 18 cyclists, uh, Patricia, starting out from Malinhead at half past eight on next Friday morning. All experienced cyclists? All experienced cyclists, uh, varying abilities, I suppose, but uh, we have the training put in. We've been training since early February. We have about, I suppose, an average 3,000 kilometres per person clocked up since early February so um, I suppose we, we feel we're ready but time will tell Okay now how many kilometres how do you break down 616 kilometres you're doing it over four days We're doing it over four days so day one is uh, Friday departing Malin Head and uh, hopefully ending up in Bundoran uh, 150 kilometres on day one uh, day two is Bundoran to Oranmore uh, 170 kilometres Day three, Sunday, is Oranmore to Mallow, 150 kilometres. And day four, the last day, is Mallow to Mizzen, which is a mere 140 kilometres. <laughs> Just an, e- an easy day for the final day. That's it, yeah. you'll, be, you'll be fine uh, at that stage. Mallon to Mizzen or Mizzen to Mallon, is it a real bucket list cycles, cycle for most cyclists? It probably is, Patricia, for anyone that cycles uh, on a regular basis. I suppose it's 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 one of those ones that you want to tick off. It's one of the ones on the bucket list, as you say. And uh, it was extraordinary when we, you know, initially it was a couple of members in the club uh, that had um, had the thought of doing it, and you know we were blown away by the amount of interest in it. And hence, 18 of us uh, now uh, already and setting out on Friday uh, to complete the, the challenge. And I'm assuming we're, a support team will have to go with you. Yes, we we have uh, we have a club member who has volunteered up his time, uh, who will be driving a support van, and we have a second van uh, for the first two days, and then uh, two other club members are joining us with their cars for the third and fourth days. So, um, and, and you have to sort of. <laughs> Be, be uh, prepared for everything. I mean, punctures and things. Oh, the whole shooting caboodle. Uh, you, you have to be prepared for everything. Uh, you know, spare spare tubes, spare tyres, spare wheels, spare bikes. You know, spare everything other than spare cyclists. 
Yeah. Uh, you have to be prepared for everything, yeah. yeah. And you stick together as a team of 18, do you? Or, or is that how you'll do it? Yeah, uh, I suppose it, it, it very much depends on, you know, the, on the road. If, if we had a very, for example, if we had a very narrow stretch of road, maybe you would break it down such that you'd have nine ahead of nine, uh, you know, just to give the traffic a chance. But uh, by and large, uh, we would be we would be hoping to cycle it as a group 18 uh, cyclist in the group, yeah. And looking at the four days and looking at the different stretches of roads, what what day do you think is going to be the hardest? And is there a section that's really going to be tough? Um, I think to be fair, it's going to be every day is going to be tough. Um, I suppose maybe the last day. I think to be fair, you know, as someone said to me the other day um, uh, when I said, you know, we'll be cycling from Mallow to Mizzen, and they said, uh, Janie Mac, that's a long journey in a car. Yeah. So you know, on a cycle or on a bicycle, uh, like when you leave Mallow, we're heading Mallow, Drumahan, Boeing, Coachford, Bailnablaw, to Manway, Drumalig, Doris, Colleen, Mizzen. So even when you say it out loud, it's uh, it's a long distance, you know. But um, look, I suppose at that stage, we'll have three days done. We'll have our way, uh, please God, cycled into it. And, uh, you know, we'll have uh, we'll have obviously families and loved ones, uh, please God, uh, in, in Mizzenhead to, to greet us as we arrive. I love your positivity. I, I really do. But tough on the body to do the four days one after the other. I mean, do you do you get blisters? Um, I would certainly hope. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would hope not. Um, to be fair, that you know, we have been training. We've been training four days in the week. Uh, you know, for the last month, uh, Tuesday nights, uh, Thursday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays. So you know, the the bodies uh, hopefully are in good shape. You know, you're, you're, so. you're a fit bunch of eighteen uh, for sure. Now you've decided to do it as a fundraiser for the Irish Community Air Ambulance. Why is the Air Ambulance so close to each and every one of you? Well, look, the we're a rural-based club uh, based in Clonakilty and uh, the Irish Community Air Ambulance really is a fantastic charity um, and I suppose we would be conscious that if something goes wrong, Patricia, on a bike, it can and could go catastrophically wrong and if you come off a bike at speed, um, you know, you may need to be transferred to hospital quickly and obviously the Air Ambulance is the way to have it done. Um, I suppose, look, we're, we're, we're a fan of the charity uh, one of our members, uh, Garo Beamish, uh, initiated probably, I would think, what was one of the first uh, fundraisers for the Air Ambulance oh, years ago. And Garo is, is is on this trip with us. So that's, that's, that's a nice uh, yeah. link. Um, you know, it, it really is a fantastic charity. We're, we're a fan of Michal Sheridan and his team and what they do. And, you know, it's it's we were down at the base with him. And he was explaining to us that, you know, I think they cover a square area of 25,000 square kilometres and they can be from the base anywhere within that 25,000 square kilometres in 30 minutes. So, you know, it it really is, um, it's a fantastic charity. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the amount of funds that we've raised, uh, we, we hit uh, 35,000 euros yesterday. That's incredible. 
which is quite extraordinary. And I think it shows, uh, you know, the grow that uh, the rural community of West Cork has for the Irish community here, Ambulance. Uh, and, you know, to date, uh, they don't receive um, any... It's a charity. Uh, it's a, they it is a charity. Ha- they have to fundraise to get that... They do. ...to get that helicopter up in the sky, you know. And it can and it does save lives. Um, or at least if the outcome for somebody who has a, you know, a catastrophic uh, injury, it can lessen... What, how that person is going to be if they can get to the hospital and get the treatment that they need. Absolutely. And we saw that last year, I think it was last year or the year before, where a cyclist uh, on, on a sportif uh, had an injury, uh, had a fall and an injury and, you know, was transferred to hospital like within something like half an hour from, from the arrival of the helicopter. So, you know, it really is, um, it's an extraordinary charity. We are very lucky that it is based yeah. uh, in Munster. The, gold, the, the golden hour, as as they speak about. But 35,000, that's incredible. Had you, had you set a goal on how much you'd hoped to raise? Um, well, I suppose we, you know, as a group, uh, we probably had set maybe a target of maybe twenty to twenty-five thousand, and you know, we we uh, we hoped uh, that we would raise that. But quite quite honestly, Patricia, we have been absolutely blown away by the amount of money that has been donated, and it's you know, it's it's people that are donating, you know, ten euros, twenty euros, fifty euros, uh, you know, uh, uh, and the accumulation of all of that really has led us to uh, bring reaching 35,000 uh, yesterday. So it really is an astonishing amount of money. Well, I'm always saying that to people when we're ever advertising, you know, a GoFundMe page or whatever it is when we're, when we're asking people to be generous and, do, and to donate. It's all the small ones that add up. It's fantastic when a business or somebody who can afford it comes along and chucks in a couple of thousand. That's really welcome. But it's all those small donations. They're all the ones that add up to get you to 35,000. Absolutely. And each and every person uh, uh, that has donated, we are, you know, the 18 cyclists are absolutely, you know, uh, grateful, heartfelt, uh, grateful uh, to the to everybody that has donated. Uh, never, I'd say, in our wildest expectations, did we think we'd raise that sort of money. And look, it's, we, we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't concluded yet. Um, uh, if if anybody does want to donate, uh, they can find the page on the I Donate platform, uh, the Clannacilty Cycling Club, and you know, Maddie, uh, okay. it'll it'll be open uh, even after the event if people want to donate. Okay. And everything I, gratefully received. I Donate. Cycling Club Mallon to Mizzen uh, Cycle. It's it's well, well well done. What would be your ideal weather conditions? I mean, I'm looking here. We've got a nice dry day here, nice and mild, 14 degrees. It, dry but not too hot. Is that what you're looking uh, for? Dry and not too hot it would be fine. I suppose if we had a if we had a tailwind behind <laughs> us to blow us <laughs> the whole way from Mizzen to Mallon, really, really, to Mizzen, we'd be absolutely delighted. <laughs> you're really looking for miracles now, actually. We are. Uh, well, hopefully, even, even for a part of it. And someone wants to know what time do you expect to be back in Mizzen? I'm assuming people would like to go out and welcome you back. Have you, yeah. have you an expected time for Monday? Uh, I think in and around three o'clock, yeah, okay, you know, between right. two and three o'clock, I suppose is what we're, is what we're uh, we're hoping. You know, I mean, at that stage we'll have settled well into the cycling, so you know, we'd be hoping that uh, we should be there between between two and three o'clock. So, what's the plan tomorrow? You head up to Malin, is it? Uh, we head up to Malin. We're leaving Clonakilty at eight thirty tomorrow by bus, and we're heading to uh, Ballyliffin, staying in Ballyliffin tomorrow night, and we will be bussed out to Malin uh, for an eight thirty uh, kickoff on Friday morning. morning.
Well, it's one way to spend a bank holiday weekend, that's for sure. Listen, we wish you buckets of luck with it and uh, we hope that you've you've raised already a a remarkable sum of money. We hope that figure goes even higher. But Godspeed to each and every one of you in a safe cycle and an enjoyable cycle as much as you can enjoy a challenge like that. But thank you for joining us, Anthony, on the programme this morning. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Anthony O'Donovan of the Clannacilty Cycling Club on behalf of that 18 cyclists and they'll have a support crew with them as well. We wish them well and it would be lovely to see a big, big gang turn out on Monday, the Bank Holiday Monday, to welcome them back because I imagine they would be utterly exhausted but it's in a very, very worthwhile cause, the Irish Community Air Ambulance. John Paul taking your calls 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Some of your comments uh, coming in Councillor Paul Hayes was on uh, listening to my piece with Anthony O'Donovan talking about the 18 cyclists who are heading off doing Malin to Mizzen over the bank holiday weekend uh, Paul says best of luck to the lads in Clonakilty Cycling Club endeavouring to cycle from Malin to Mizzen in aid of a very great cause, the Irish Community Air Ambulance Service. I was at the starting point in Malinhead in County Donegal recently and it was a long enough drive from West Cork not to mind even contemplating cycling. Best of luck to all involved and please support their fundraising efforts. Safe travels from Councillor Paul Hayes. Thank you for that Paul and as Anthony said, let's hope they have a good strong wind behind them a tailwind behind them that'll blow them all the way back to us here in in Cork and can I also wish the very best of luck to all the little Ukrainian children who started in Mill Street National School today somebody was on uh, to say because the Ukrainian refugees who recently arrived in Mill Street they're in the Green Glens Arena because they're starting in the girls school in Mill Street today as a welcome the other children were asked if they'd wear blue and yellow to welcome them which is really really nice thought on behalf of the teachers and this text just says hope each and every one of them will be happy and happy and you can imagine how nerve wracking that must have been this morning both for the little ones heading off to a new new school and of course many of them won't have a, any English some will have some English but many of them won't and even for the for the mums you know dropping them to the school gate and leaving them in you, you know they've what they have been through and then you know trusting these people from a different country that they look and we know that the, the the teachers inside in the school will so look after those little ones and the pupils in the school will be so so welcoming of them so we think of all of them starting in the girls school in Mill Street today thank you I don't know who it was sent in that text but thank you for that now I mentioned about hospitals in the last hour and the problems that we have in the hospital service and I was talking about you know delays because of COVID people having procedures and operations cancelled and appointments cancelled and it's I think it's going to take years to catch up after COVID I'm trying to get people off those uh, waiting lists but then that led to a number of calls about what's going on in hospitals at the moment because of COVID and because if you've a loved one in hospital no visitors allowed because of COVID and we had two gentlemen contact us almost back to back with kind of similar stories. Ted was on to us first to say his wife is in hospital and he can't get in to see her. He said it's so frustrating and he says he knows and understands why there's a block on visitors because of COVID and all of that but he said he's utterly heartbroken that he can't get in to see his beloved 
wife. And then Tom was on to us. He rang us from his hospital bed this morning to say he's in hospital. But his beloved wife is also in hospital. Same hospital, but they're on different wards. And even though they're both in the same hospital because of COVID and because the hospitals are doing their best to try to stop the spread of COVID, Tom can't go in to see his wife or his wife can't go to the ward that Tom is uh, on. And Tom used the very same phrase that Ted used that he's heartbroken that he's not able to get to see his wife knowing that she's in the same uh, building and obviously he's worried about her because she's in hospital as well and then Helen has contacted us because her husband has been in hospital and from what I can see on the screen in front of me he's about to be released Uh, uh, Good afternoon to you Helen Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, your uh, you, the story. Your husband had a hip replacement. On, um, am I? Was it only on Monday? Yeah, I'll tell you. He now he got it done pretty fast, and that's the plus side. Okay. In three and a half weeks, but he was to be in at after lunch Monday, and I gather he had surgery at half three, four o'clock. Um, I could understand not being allowed in that night. I wouldn't have attempted because I've had a few major ones through the years. But there we rang up then yesterday morning, assuming I could go in for a half an hour last night. And I was told no, that there was no visitors, that he would actually, uh, if we needed anything, we could leave it at reception. Now, I got another phone call then. He more than likely would be out this morning. Now, I couldn't believe that really because we got the impression going in it would be three to four days, which is little enough, but still that bit better than two days. So yesterday morning, he hadn't got out of bed at 11 o'clock. And today he's literally supposedly being tufted out for 11. Now, as it happens, my son is still having rang at reception, waiting in the car, and there's no sign of him. But hang on, hang on, has he had any physiotherapy? He had a little bit yesterday, and I was on to him last night, and I said, did you go up steps? Because we have two big steps up to a front door. Yeah. Lucky the rest is a bungalow. And he said, oh, I was up and down twice and I did a few exercises, but no steps. Now, when I had a knee six years ago, I was seven days in another private hospital in the city. And I did steps on the third day and I was doing them every day for three or four more before I was allowed out. Yeah, and I, I, I remember my late mother uh, God be good to her. And now, now we're talking about a different time because we're talking about it would have been in the late, would have been in the 90s. Right. She had a hip uh, replacement done. And I remember it was quite intensive physiotherapy in, and this was pre-COVID, obviously, we were in yeah, and out every I day know. to her. But she was a full seven days and then got assessed at the end of the seven days to see if she, if she could be allowed to come home. But there was quite intensive physiotherapy now literally from this from the day after we were surprised that they had her out of bed the day after but then and it was started but like that the steps didn't come into it until at least day three or four yeah Yeah. and then on the seventh day um, she was assessed and it was at the full like it was the end of the seventh day and then they were happy enough to to leave her home they'd really you know they'd sort of said the next morning yeah but like you're talking about 
realistically, it's not even 48 hours. No, it's, un, it's about 40 hours, 39 yeah. and a half from the time he has the surgery, I think. And he's still there now. And what's bugging me is he would get very fussed. I said to him yesterday, you'll have to wait till my son finishes school today, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he said, oh, no, I'll get a taxi home. Oh, God. Oh, God. So <laughs> I left pretty upset that he was feeling like that. You know, on his own, with no family member to reassure him that all his stuff would be given to him. But as it stands, I have had two knees through the years and two other major surgeries. And I know the hospital system at this stage. And I know when they say everything will be ready for 11, that could be one. Yeah. Yeah, we've all we've and, all witnessed that in the past, and that's yeah. not, that was nothing to do with uh, COVID. Nothing. But when the, when the decision was was made that you're obviously the consultants feel he's well enough to go home, even though I'm I'm really questioning that he's had enough uh, physio. Did you speak with his consultant? I tried to speak yesterday morning because I was so frustrated that he was to be left out today, and what I was told by the secretary was. When I said, look, I said, he has heart condition, he has underlying problems, we have two steps. And I said, I have my own uh, problems. I said, I don't think that he would be grand, possibly when he gets in. But I said, I think it's very little. He hasn't only been uh, doing a tiny bit of physio. The answer I got was, why didn't you book him into a nursing home? Oh. And now this is a private room in a private hospital paying a high private insurance. Yeah. And I said, why should I book him in with COVID in the nursing homes? Yeah, but you don't want to send him to a nursing no home. No way. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't go. And I wouldn't if I couldn't do some bit of helping out regardless of how bad I am in my own way. I think that. And to be honest, whether you agree or not, but nothing will change my mind on this. I think now that they have got so... Now, don't get me wrong. The nurses, the doctors, carers, porters, they have stick all through COVID. But as we all know now, it is winding down and there are very little people in hospital that are really sick with it. But I think that it's kind of... They're used to not having visitors now. Because I know if I went up last night and was allowed in, I would have kind of tried to clarify for him what exactly he needed today. And I would have asked a nurse a yeah, few questions. Yeah, that, that, that was one of the points I was going to make t- uh, to you. Pre, Pre-COVID, pre-COVID you, would, you, family member, would have been in. Every yeah. day somebody would have, would have been in. And you get the opportunity then to speak mm-hmm. with staff. You get the opportunity to speak with consultants. But because of COVID and because people are not allowed into hospitals, I have heard time and time again yeah. from people saying exactly what you're saying. You can't get the information that you want. Or people you can are... get nothing. Yeah, yeah. And he will come home now with prescriptions and it'll be a mad rush to a pharmacy. And if I was in last night, I could have asked for those and we could have had them here 
and he'll be under pressure and we could have a flaming bit of a row. I know. And your son... I don't mean is, that. I know, I know, I know. I, I know exactly the kind of yeah. row that goes on between yeah, much loved husbands and wives. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you have to bite your tongue and yeah, count to ten. and my son is but, already saying, ma'am, don't say I told you so. But when your ho- your your son has gone, uh, thankfully gone up to collect your husband, he, is uh, he allowed he's in into the national ho- school in Douglas? Is and, he allowed into the um, hospital to collect uh, him? Day to day, because he has in twenty three years, he has only taken about four uh, sick days and bringing us to hospital. So he's well entitled to take but is four he, in twenty three years. Is he know? allowed into the hospital to collect his dad? He has gone out since uh, he left. Douglas at about quarter twenty to eleven. He was there at five. To, he went in as he was instructed to reception, and he was to be down shortly. Uh, this was last night, and he now is in Saint Clair's Avenue, having circled round. Anyway, he couldn't take up a space at the door for an hour and a half practically, and up till the time I came on to you. He was still waiting and he said he'd give it till half twelve and he was ringing a nurse. That's crazy. crazy. Whereas if we knew that, he could have stayed at school because he does love school and he could have picked him up half Uh, two. Yeah, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of his So I'm so disillusioned now with health board, health systems, GPs. Now our GPs are grand, but I know people in Mitchellstown seven weeks waiting for an appointment with their own doctor. And I'm beginning to think COVID is just, they're still, um, you know, they're still trying to pretend they're very busy with COVID. Well, I know the problem, the the problem, it seems to be with GPs, there's just not enough of them. But I do understand there's a lot of people very frustrated that they can't get, I mean, gone are the, gone are the, gone are the days when you could ring up you'd wake up one morning feeling unwell I'll ring and make an yeah. appointment you definitely won't get a same day appointment I mean that's gone I think we just have no, to accept I that that, that is I gone I think it was the stress last week of he going in my tummy was just very rumbling and not normal and I gave it three or four days and then I wanted to question something about flour and I rang up and I said any chance this was Wednesday morning, I could have a quick word with the GP on Friday evening. And they said she's booked up. And then I forgot about it. And I think it was stress-related, really, with me. Mm. Um, the fact that he was, you know, going in and maybe fussing about going in. And um, I, I knew in my heart I wouldn't get in until maybe... Tuesday or so of this yeah, week. Yeah, because I know in in the UK, certainly in England, for years it's been like that. You've got a ring trying to get an appointment. I know I had and we all we and always used be. to say we were so lucky here that we would we never. And now, now it's it's some gone. Of them it's, yeah, are it's gone very the accommodating. Yeah. Okay, and listen. Um, just the whole saga. I know. Under listen. two days for a hip. It does seem very, very little, short, um, short I time. Think they just throw you out, and I can't understand how. Um, they're turning people over so fast. They can't possibly be getting the right treatment with uh, physio and everything. Well, please God, you'll make a full recovery and uh, keep in contact with us. And thanks a million for making the call yeah. today. Thanks All a right, million. Take Trisha. care, take care. Okay. Uh, 0818103103. I'm, I'm wondering if anybody else had a, a hip or a knee replacement and with under 
48 hours uh, sent home. It does seem like a very, very short space of time. John in Cove says, hearing about hospitals, my concern is the cruise ships arriving in Cove and the ones that will come later in the year, October and November. Uh, John is fearful that COVID will be rampant again. 8,000 passengers are on board one of those cruise ships. He checked with the passengers that they carry. Those passengers then get transported all around uh, Munster. Uh, he's fe- she, he is fearful that some of those cruise ships, because we saw what happened to cruise ships at the start of COVID, will they bring a different strain of COVID into COVID and the Munster area or the operators he feels can see his money. But what about public health when I'm listening to people who can't visit their relatives in hospital? And I did see it was David Nabarro, wasn't it, from the World Health Organisation, he said that we will have another wave of three months. I think he said every three months it's kind of going to come back again, come back again. Now, what they're hoping is with each wave of COVID that it isn't as severe because that certainly is what is what's happening at the moment. But are we finished with COVID? Absolutely not. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie The Donnerail Men's uh, Shed They're meeting in the community centre In Donnerail Half past seven tonight All are welcome Dukas Clonacilty Heritage Group They've got their final lecture Of the current season Via Zoom It's tomorrow night Thursday half past eight Garda Tom Daly will speak on the centenary of Angarda Siakona, a uniquely Irish experiment in policing. Anybody interested, you need to pre-register. Details are available on Dukas Clonacilty's Heritage Facebook page. The next draw for Kildallery Community Lottery takes place tomorrow Thursday, four in the afternoon. Tickets are on sale in local outlets. The McCroom Flower and Garden Club will host a floral demonstration by Nora Gallagher of EFA entitled Onwards and Upwards. It's on tomorrow 8 o'clock in Coolcarra House. New members and visitors are most welcome to come along. Club competitions and a sales table. More information from 087 982 1708. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And Michael by text says uh, how are you doing Patricia? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm a man listening to your discussion on women's health earlier with uh, Deputy Verona Murphy. I think we need the civil service within the Department of Health to be the main focus of attention. After the attempt to block a junior minister for meeting disability interest groups, how undemocratic is that? We know that they were afraid of what she might be told and how they will be brought into sharp focus. But I see today Minister Donnelly has instructed the HSE to allow those meetings to go ahead. Surely the HSE has to come into focus again when it comes to the HRT issue that you uh, discussed and you, how right you are Michael and I think the one thing one of the reasons that we we decided to invite Verona Murphy onto the programme because we've spoken with women on this programme in recent months who were having problems getting their HRT products but there doesn't seem to be anything being done about it and then as she mentioned in Scotland they introduced a kind of a junior minister on women's health specific to try to get to the bottom of what's going on with HRT because it's not just here in Ireland it's it seems to be right across 
the UK as well. But there doesn't seem to be anything done here. And and, and I did make that point. It's almost like when, when it's a women's issue, women have a tendency and seem to suffer in, in silence, which is wrong and something needs to be done about it. But the point that you're talking about, uh, Michael, was something that I have to say I was really infuriated with. This is the Junior Minister for Disabilities, Anne Rabbit. She had claimed that senior HSE officials have blocked her from holding individual meetings with the managing services for children with disabilities across the country and she felt at the time that the hearing what she might ask and were concerned about the lack of control that they would have over the meetings. Now the Taoiseach Micheál Martin said a full review of the Progressing Disability Services Programme for Children is required and he's sought a meeting with the HSE Chief Executive Paul Reid on the matter but Michael is spot on. Minister Stephen Donnelly has directly intervened to order the HSC to hold on-the-ground meetings with the Disability Minister, Anne Rabbit, amid concerns about how those services for children are being uh, delivered. And it's understood the HSE has now agreed to allow these monthly meetings to uh, go ahead. I mean, I saw Anne Rabbit say it was regrettable and unfortunate that she felt her position had been undermined and that a senior minister had to get involved. Because we only spoke on this programme when she, when Anne, Anne Rabbit, as the Junior Minister for Disabilities, came here to Cork and met with with the parents of children within the disability services. She got to hear firsthand uh, the stories and she wanted to take that a step further and meet with those managing the services so that she could really find out what was going wrong. So I was really enraged when I heard this week and I was glad that she went public uh, to say I've been blocked from having these meetings. So at least those meetings now are going to go uh, ahead. Uh, Thank you, Michael, for your uh, text. Now, recently... We sent our reporter Mairead Tuick on a visit to St Angela's on Patrick's Hill in the city to hear about a project they are doing on direct provision. The project has since been announced as a finalist under the Make Our World Fair and Just category. The winners are going to be announced in the middle of May and our reporter Mairead Tuick put a report together with the students involved in the project so we could find out more not spoken about enough and we also want to bring attention to an issue in our area and help those affected by the direct vision system within our community and around us. So we had heard about organisations such as Bridge, um, Bridge Earner Organisation who help and fundraise for people living in direct vision centres. Uh, so we plan to get in contact with them uh, to further our knowledge and to see what we could do to help. One of our main aims was really also to educate our school and other young people on the direct provision system and the struggles faced by the people living within it. Grace is among a group of fourth years in St. Angela's College on Patrick's Hill in Cork City, involved in a project on direct provision. It's part of Young Social Innovators. Libby Ryan says they started by raising awareness of direct provision. We realised that a lot of people in our school and around Cork, even in our families, wouldn't really know what direct provision is or how it works. So at the start of our project, a lot of it was just about raising awareness with, and then we went on kind of to work with Bridgemore. The group set up an Instagram account as Hannah Cronin explains. We decided we wanted to keep our peers interested in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis in class. So we started posting daily facts about direct provision to educate our followers. And also around our school, we hung up posters with some facts and statistics about direct provision and like to show everyone how real it really is. And 
Um, we also have posters of famous people in uh, direct provision. Jessica Canny says Miss Ireland Pamela Uba, a former direct provision resident, spoke to the fourth years. She kind of told us what her experience was like growing up in direct provision because she moved to Ireland at the age of five, so very young with her brothers and sisters. Um, and she was moved to the centre in Galway, she said. So she said it was very challenging because... Like what she did was that when she was in school, she was put in a direct provision house. So from the outside, it didn't look like a centre, but it wasn't a home. It was just a building where her family and her siblings lived. So she said it was quite easy to keep it from her school friends that she was in direct provision. Emily Deneen says they organised a special outing for children in direct provision. We used the money that we raised during our Christmas concert. We decided to bring the children to the cinema to see Sing 2. So we organised everything with the Gate Cinema and they were happy to give us a private screening in the morning. So when we told the kids about this, they were really happy and they learned all the songs from Sing 2 before going. So it was like an event leading up to it rather than just a day trip. This week is YSI week. Fiona Gomez is local leader for YSI in Cork. Well, there's a lot of things that the young people get. Their social skills definitely improve by it because they're interacting with businesses, the local community. They're learning about time management, about organisation. So there's a lot of transferable skills that they can use after they finish school. Um, so it's very important for those. And thanks to Mairead for that and best of luck to all of the pupils who are into the final of that um, the competition for um, uh, YSI but best of luck to everybody at St Angela's on Patrick's Hill in the city. Now a couple of people are uh, commenting when we were talking about the carbon tax that we kicked off the programme with earlier this morning and looking at alternative ways that we can try to stop with carbon emissions because everybody accepts that we have to do something about it. We might like to pay carbon tax but everyone accepts we have to do something when, particularly when it comes to climate change. Eddie said many years ago Eddie has some memory. Many years ago he says a priest from Scotland was on this programme and he was running his motorbike on liquid from whiskey, from whiskey distillers. I have no memory of that at all, Eddie. Uh, but he's just making the point we have so many distilleries in this country. Is that not something that we could look at instead of looking at biofuel plants, which was suggested by somebody earlier on today? Martin and Enniskeen said if they invested in the production of solar panels to be mass produced, they could be put on every home. Surely that would reduce the need for oil and uh, gas. But we need to put in a bigger focus on it. We've been talking about uh, five-year plans and ten-year plans and nothing seems to happen. And that was the whole idea of the carbon tax, to ring-fence the money. Even though the last time that I mentioned, only recently we were talking about retrofitting homes and when I mentioned solar panels, it was said to me, and I don't have a solar panel in my home, so I, I can't speak from experience here. And while the solar panels are good and they work, they, generally speaking, only do the hot water. They, we don't seem to have enough sunlight if you could put a solar panel on your roof uh, for it to heat the home. Now, I could be wrong on that. If anybody's listening that has solar panels, how much electricity do you actually uh, generate? And then Michael in Castletown Bear was on to say, Patricia, you've got haulage companies in the UK who run their fleets on decarbonised diesel. Check it out. I actually sent information into you before. And I did look into decarbonising of uh, vehicles and the suggestion is that the, the to decarbonise a, a diesel engine or a petrol engine, it's not recommended because it doesn't significantly improve engine. If you do decide to decarb, 
a vehicle. It can only be done once in the lifetime of the vehicle. But when you do it, it obviously does remove deposits from your engine and therefore does reduce your admission. So it will help with a cleaner, greener drive. But it seemingly, from what I could find out in the research, it can only be done once. But I suppose, Michael, you would say anything that can be done to help reduce emissions would be welcomed for sure. 08, thank you for your text. 0818103103. Looking for your gardening questions, please, because Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, is going to be joining us after the break. You can text her WhatsApp in a gardening question now to 0862. 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And keep your questions coming in for Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, who joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Patricia, sorry, no, I can there. hear you now. You sorry, we had a problem. You're okay. All right. Uh, good afternoon to you. Lovely weather. Great weather to be out in the garden, I take it. It really is. The sunshine, the blue skies. I was out morning. It was good for the soul. I was looking at crab apples and flowers and other trees and flower and they were just so gorgeous to be out in it. Yeah and actually you can solve an argument now in a household between a husband and a wife. The grass hasn't been cut yet. It's full of dandelions. My husband is saying leave the dandelions. It's important for the bees. He doesn't want to cut for another few weeks. Is he correct? He is correct on this one. I agree completely with the husband. Do leave the dandelions. I was just having a conversation with somebody about this yesterday, actually, how, how the marketing companies, if you like, have kind of calibrated our brains into thinking that these dandelions are, are ugly and need chemical poured upon them when they're the opposite. They're beautiful and they're sustaining life. So understand you might want a weed-free garden and you might want a, a more tidy lawn, but just give it another couple of weeks till the, the dandelions are finished and then cut away again. Yeah, because I heard um, Ian and Ilana, who's uh, obviously a great wildlife expert, talking about particularly the first bloom of daffodils. They're the ones that the bees really need to get access to. Well, of the dandelions. Yeah, of the dandelions, yeah. Yes, sorry, yeah. No, she's absolutely right. And it's it's because they're, they're very valuable to them because when they flower so early, they're flowering with as a rich sort, rich source of pollen and nectar when there's very little else out in flower for them. That's why it's so important. So if you remove them just to, uh, you know, to have a tidy lawn, you really are removing a vital piece of the jigsaw at this time of the year. Okay, so Jane, your husband is right. You just need to grow to love your dandelions. That's all you need to do. And then kind of on a similar one, Mary in Mornabi has planted a patch of wildflower seeds. She said it's greening up nicely now, but she suspects a lot of it are just weeds. She's been pulling up anything that looks a bit spiky, but she doesn't know which are just unwanted weeds. She wants this to grow to be full of bee-friendly plants. But wildflower seeds, most of them are weeds, aren't they? Am I right in saying that? This, this is this is the, the million-dollar question, if you like, Trish. It's, it's what is a weed and what is a wildflower? I mean, there is no actual definition for a weed except to say that it's a plant growing where you don't want it. So without meaning to kind of you know, evade that question because it is a difficult one to answer. Like one person's weed is another person's wildflower. The way I always deal with it and the way I kind of advise you to deal with it is if there's something growing in there that you don't want or if there's thugs or bullies, you see like brambles or something like that and you if you don't want them, just take them out. So another person might love them, but you don't and it's your wildflower patch if you like. So remove anything that's going to be a bully. I would definitely remove if there's too much grass growing in it. Um, but and. If you think it's a weed, then it is, because as I say, a weed is just a plant growing where you don't want it. So if you think it's a weed, remove it by hand. 
and let the other ones that you do want colonize in the area or alternatively what I've what I've been saying on this show for many years is learn to love it learn mm. to love those weeds yeah and when she says she's pulling up the spiky ones they're obviously thistles I would imagine so yeah, yeah. no thistles and I can understand you wanting to get rid of thistles and they will crowd out a lot of the other the other ones it's probably no harm however thistles in the right place are a very very uh, important plant for pollinators too. Yeah, see, they all have a place in the choir. Okay, now a number of questions in about potatoes. Hi, this is Teresa. Hi, Peter. My potatoes got a few spots of frost. I'm wondering, will they be okay? I would say if it's just a few spots of frost, they should be fine. They'll grow through it. We did have some ground frosts over the last couple of weeks, relatively late, I suppose, and maybe relatively unexpected. But with most, I think I think they're going to be okay. It's impossible to say without seeing it, but with most of them, I think they'll grow through it. If the whole stem has gone black, um, then you're in trouble. But if it's just the tips of the leaves, I think they'll grow, to, grow through it. And then Nora set early potatoes in her tunnel and they're all up nicely. Just wondering now, how often do I water them? Do I give them a little water or a lot of water? A fair bit, if that's a, that's not too vague an answer. More than more than a little, certainly. But you don't want to be drenching them. You don't want to be giving them. To, well, you know what? In a tunnel, I would err on the side of overwatering because it'll just evaporate and drain away anyway. But uh, yeah, you, you'll notice it too because if you're not giving them enough water, particularly in a tunnel, they'll quite dramatically wilt. Now, you don't really want that to happen. But if it does happen and they're still green, you'll still be able to to give them enough water to bring them up again. But uh, I would err on the side of overwatering in a tunnel as opposed to under. Okay, hi, could you ask Peter, please, can I move Myrtle and Pitsporium Tom Tom now? I need to move them. I have no choice. Okay, well, if you need to move them, then that's that question answered. But will they survive the move? And the answer with the Pitsporium Tom Tom is definitely, I'm afraid, no. They just will not transplant at all. So it's kind of irrelevant as to when you try it. It's just not going to work with the Pitsporium. The first one was a Myrtle. Again, a difficult one to transplant, but certainly not at this time of the year. So it's another evergreen one. So it needs every bit of its root system because it's actively growing at the moment. All you can do with the myrtle, the pittosporum, I'm afraid there isn't even a point trying. It's just not going to transplant. With the myrtle, provided you have a new hole or a pot or a new home ready for it immediately, get it out of where it is and into its new home immediately. Don't leave it out of the ground for any length of time. Fill it with good soil, really firm it into the ground and water, 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 water for the next few months to the end of the summer uh, and even with that I'm afraid it may not transplant successfully because the wrong time of the year but it's worth a shot Okay here's a lovely text saying I've got a really I've got a good old fashioned chrysanthemum it belonged to my mum who sadly we lost due to COVID so these obviously are very precious they seem to have some kind of blight on the leaves any advice please? Send a picture in, in either to John Paul there in the radio station, he'll send it on to me or to myself on Facebook at the Irish Gardener and hopefully I'll see it. But if you send it to John Paul, he'll send it to me and I will see it for next week because I, I don't want to guess an answer at that when it's particularly such an yeah. important plant, uh, understandably. Um, it, it's, it's some infection and with most of these infections, the answer is going to be the same. It's cultural control. So remove remove most of the infected growth. But I want to have a look at it to see what it is before I give any more advice on it. You know, All But right. pruning it, pruning off any infected growth won't be wrong. And th- But that is a lovely thing if you have a plant that belonged to or was given to you, you know, by a much loved family member. I mean, I'm thinking straight away, I got a lilac tree as a small little slip from a really, really dear friend of mine who sadly we lost just a little over a year ago. And only this morning I saw that the lilac tree is flowering and I just thought of him straight away. 
keeps that person in your home yeah, and in your life, doesn't indeed. it? It really does. Yeah. And and this, the same is true now with the chrysanthemum. It, yeah. I think it's a lovely, it really makes the garden of the home a kind of living entity, doesn't it? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's it, the, the plant might have cost two euros, but it's priceless, yeah. you know, yeah. because of who gave it to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Dan in Skibbereen says, I've just noticed a lot of fruitlets on my pear tree, similar to last year. But last year, most of them fell off. Have you any advice on how I should care for a pear tree? He, he doesn't say how old that pear tree is because the, the when the pear loses its fruit like that, it's normally caused by drought, believe it or not, at this time of the year. And it is quite dry at the moment. Um, so when, when all, not just pears, pears, apples, plums, all these trees, when they're setting their fruit after blossom from over the next few weeks now, um, you really do need to make sure that they're getting well watered. Now, that's why I ask how old the tree is. So if it's a mature tree, it shouldn't really be an issue. It's not normally an issue. But if it's a young tree, like anything less than 10 years, it very much can be an issue. Um, so I would say a good mulch with the, some good organic material around the base of that tree to help, you know, reduce water loss through evaporation and to retain moisture around the root system and also just get out there and, and water it at the moment. Uh, it probably won't be too long before nature takes over again for you. But just at the moment, do keep them well watered. Hi, Peter. Hi, uh, Peter. When is is now the right time to set a cherry blossom tree? I'm putting it at the end of my garden, but I'm wondering, will I have any problem with roots? Because where it's planted, it will be near drain wells and the house. So the root system okay. of a cherry blossom tree. Yeah, any day is a good day to plant a cherry blossom tree. Yeah. I love them. I absolutely adore and they're, them. They're starting um, to flower now. Yeah, they're gorgeous oh. at the moment. However, on, on saying that, um, if they're grown in a pot, absolutely fine, plant away. If they're what's called bare root or root ball, you can only get them during the autumn, winter. Now, if you have one that's bare root or root ball, to do plant it sooner rather than later. But most of them now, now at the moment, this time of the year, would be pot grown. So you can plant them really any time of the year. However, planting it near a drainage system, like a pipe system or a septic tank or any kind of drains, they are shallow rooted and roots are the original smart devices, if you like, in that they have this aristomatic part of the root system which goes in search of water they're intelligent if you like and they they can they can suss out water and they will go towards the, those pipes and if there's any imperfection or hole or anything it'll just make they won't break the pipes all on their own but if there's a hole there already they will get in they are shallow rooted so i would i would never plant them near kind of a tarmac surface or a paved surface or anything like that uh, because i'm afraid the answer to your question is they could cause damage yes Okay, and Lucy has just moved to her first home. Well done, congratulations, Lucy. Would love to grow some vegetables in the back garden. Never done it or tried it before. What would you suggest for a starting out gardener? I was asked this question yesterday for a a journalist on um, RSVP. And they said, what's the the two things that you would, or what's the the best tip that you would give to somebody starting off in the garden? So I would use it again here. And it's, um, don't be scared. Don't be afraid just get out there and start something and before you know it you'll get the bug you'll see how easy it is so in the first instance if you're just starting off on this really wonderful world of gardening and you want to start off growing your own food start with something simple say something like the salad crops lettuce spring onions because these are things that you're probably going to eat yourself so the, the first thing is get stuck in just do it the second thing is, all the instructions will be there people in garden centers will only be too happy to help you with with advice um if you're growing your own vegetables, choose something that's relatively easy and quick, like, as I say, lettuce and salad crops. Choose something that you're likely to eat. No point growing something that you're not likely to eat. Um, and the other thing is, don't do too much, because 
none of this is rocket science, Trish. It's not difficult. It's as, it's as easy as, you know, walking and eating and drinking. Guard, put a seed in the ground, it will grow, okay? But it does take time. So don't overestimate the time that you or underestimate the time that you're going to need because, you know, in one packet of lettuce seed, there might be 3,000 seeds. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't eat 3,000 heads of lettuce in, in a lifetime, I suspect. So maybe only put in a few seeds from each packet at any one time so you're not overcome at harvest time with far too much and that could be off-putting. So... Uh, do something easy that's quick that you're going to eat and not too much with my pointers at the start okay and nothing will ever taste as good i can tell you that all right oh, peter yeah. we leave it there have a good week and we'll chat next wednesday could i very briefly mention trish sorry uh, uh, a dj in west cork garden center down there in bandon they sent me an email I, I apologize i don't have i can't remember the details i just saw the email and i know there's an open garden coming up and uh You'll, you'll get more information from uh, down in West Cork Garden Centre there in Bandon. OK, thanks for that and have a good week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle of theirishgardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.